Welcome to a delicious hour of culinary conversation with Chef Jamie Gwen. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, trendsetters, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas to feed your soul. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and lifestyle tips, and you'll eat and drink like never before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen starts now. A very good Sunday to you, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. On this show, we celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. So every Sunday, you'll hear from chefs and artisan food makers, farmers, authors, sommeliers, mixologists, even tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. I hope you'll stay tuned because there is a scrumptious and scintillating hour ahead. But know that you can always find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram posting something truly delicious at Chef Jamie Gwen. And I'm always serving up seconds as well at chefjamie.com. So let's get to the culinary conversation, shall we? This past week, I made a really great steak. Now, I mean that with all humility. There was something about the three-day marinade and really good olive oil and lots of fresh herbs from the garden and a ton of minced garlic. And by the way, if you're in a pinch and you need a quick steak marinade, pesto will do the trick. But it was really about the cut of beef that stood out, that made it extraordinary. And I realized that I might not have shared this secret with you before. Now, beef quality and the vast selection of cuts are ever-evolving in this wonderful world of food that we all live in and enjoy. So I wanted to make a formal introduction today. I wanted to introduce you to my new friend. Well, not so new to some, but a most exciting introduction to others. Please meet my secret harbored love, the richest friend I have, my chef's secret revealed. I want you to meet the ribeye cap. Yes, you heard me right. The ribeye cap, also known as the deckle, the tastiest cut on the cow. So what is the deckle, you ask? Well, allow me to clarify some of the confusion. The beef deckle does not have anything to do with the beef brisket, contrary to much of what you might read on the internet. The deckle is the flap or the top of the prime rib that is generally removed when the rib is made into ribeye roasts or ribeye steaks or even Spencer steaks, as they're sometimes called. Now, I'm calling it the renaissance of the deckle, and you can thank me later, by the way. Also known as the ribeye cap, the light of my life if there is fire or a grill around, the deckle might just be the most delicious piece of steak you will ever taste. Now, it's called the calotte in France. It's called the butcher's butter in a meat house. And in fact, the steak that most butchers used to keep for themselves is the deckle. But on a menu, say at Mario Batali's Carne Vino in Vegas or at a Fleming's Prime Steakhouse across the country, you can now look for the deckle. Now, I've harbored this secret love for this particular cut of meat for quite some time. You've seen it before. When the cap is left on when the ribeye steaks were cut, it's that fatty, delicious, buttery piece of meat that you always eat first, but you really don't know what it's called. So what exactly is the ribeye cap? Well, 
If you take a look at the ribeye steak, there's a bone, preferably, because bones make everything taste better. Always order the bone-in ribeye. And then there's that large eye of meat that's attached to it. And then around the eye of meat is the ribeye cap. If you trim it off from the ribs before cutting them into steaks, you end up with what is the entire muscle. It's usually about 12, 14, sometimes 16 inches long, depending upon the size of the cow. It's eight inches or sometimes six inches wide, and it's about an inch or so thick, an inch and a half if you get lucky. Now, this is the gold that you are looking for. We all know that ribeyes are the most flavorful premium steak available while tenderloin is the most tender. Well, the ribeye cap has the best of both worlds. It's all the flavor and the juicy fat of a ribeye with the tenderness of a tenderloin. And it's a boneless cut, of course. So I suggest when you get your hands on a deckel or a deckel steak, as it might be called, It's best cooked using high heat methods, that is either in a screaming hot cast iron skillet or preferably over your smoking hot grill. Now, because it's relatively thin, you can cook it all the way through on the hot side of the grill because you should keep one side hot and one side moderate for the larger cuts that need to cook through without too much char. But you won't need to finish the deckle on the cooler side of the barbecue as long as you mark it on both sides on the super hot side of your barbecue and flip frequently, then you should be just fine. Now, it is admittedly pricey because there are a few others in the know, but I guarantee that you will not find a meatier, more tender cut of beef anywhere. This is truly a steak to savor, and now you're in the know, and oh, no problem, you're welcome. Okay, so now that we've dished on the best cut of meat anywhere, it's my goal every week to help you think like a chef, to make you a better cook in your own kitchen. And posted at chefjamie.com, I have a weekly feature called just that, Think Like a Chef. And it's usually seasonally focused, and it's to hopefully inspire you to create new dishes in your kitchen. Now, since fall means apples, and apples mean so many things like pies and donuts and cakes and crisps and tart tatans and pork chops with apples and applesauce, oh, and so much more, apples are at their peak right now. They start actually in late August, although we've had a very hot summer, so they've started a bit later, uh, mid-September, and they'll run through November. And I love cooking with the seasons, so I wanted you to take advantage of the bounty. Now, eating seasonally might make you think of roast pork and buttery mashed potatoes and a sweet tart sauerkraut. And that sauerkraut, while based in cabbage, should always have some sliced apples inside. Or consider like a maple glazed double cut pork chop and a salad of apples and endive and grapes with maybe a maple cider vinaigrette. Oh, that sounds good. Now, Southern California foodies, where are you shopping for your groceries lately? I'll tell you, I look for a store that has it all. I want a great big produce section and a beautiful wine selection. I like my dry goods to be really abundant so that I can find all the ethnic influences that I'm looking for. I want good quality meat and great dairy. And then everything else is a bonus. And I have to say... Whether you need bananas for, you know, the lunchbox tomorrow or tri-tip for dinner or maybe party goods for next weekend for that big football game, 
you will find everything you need at Smart and Final. Smart and Final has new and better than ever stores all throughout Southern California with the low prices of a super center, the big sizes of a warehouse store, but no membership fees. And you get the freshness of your local supermarket all in one place. The really incredible values going on at Smart and Final right now as well. Speaking of steaks, you'll find boneless beef loin New York steaks at $5.99 a pound at Smart and Final, plus fresh Hass avocados at $0.69 cents each. That is a great value. And don't miss their Shop and Save sweepstakes. If you're buying their La Romanella products, which are exclusive Italian products under their own brand, and they compete with the national brand, you can enter for a chance to win a $500 Smart Cash card. You can find a location near you and learn more at smartandfinal.com. Smart and Final warehouse prices, big and small sizes. Okay, don't touch your dial. There's so much more delicious conversation coming up. We are going to dish out the best bacon recipes ever from the newly released Bacon Nation cookbook. We are a bacon nation. Marie Rama is here. Plus, Jumana Assad cooks dishes from her native Beirut, and she has beautiful inspiration for baklava and more. Plus, she's the Good Morning America contributor and New York Times bestseller Everybody Loves, and she made The Shift. Tori Johnson coming up live in just a bit. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio with more right after this. Don't touch your dial. It's divine. It's food and wine. Oh, yes, of course. Maybe it's bacon. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. We are a bacon nation, so says the new cookbook release, and I agree. Everything does taste better with bacon, don't you think? It's one of those flavor-packed, umami-rich, secret weapon ingredients that has the power to elevate just about any dish. Well, Marie Rama and her co-author Peter Kaminsky know just how to use it. And they are adding irresistible bacon to every dish imaginable to transform your ordinary meals into extraordinary ones. Bacon Nation is a bacon lover's dream, a collection of over 125 smoky, savory, crispy, meaty, salty, and scrumptious recipes from starters like spiced nuts with bacon and a bacon and butternut squash galette, which looks so good, to main courses that feature a brawny bacon beef bourguignon and a paella with chicken and bacon, even dessert. Doesn't rum ice cream with candied bacon chips and chocolate peanut bacon toffee sound good? Oh, yes, it does. This is a cookbook with sizzle. And Marie Rama, the food writer and recipe developer, is here to share its virtues. I'm so glad to have you, Marie. Welcome. Well, thank you for that introduction, Jamie. That <laughs> yes, was wonderful. Most Great certainly. Here. Yep. <laughs> okay, so breakfast bacon is just no longer the uh, basic need for the beautiful piggy meat that we all love. I will say bacon in everything is something we see across the country. So share your personal fascination, if you would, with bacon and how delicious it must have been testing the recipes for this book. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it actually was delicious. And for me, it was, it was kind of um, a long journey because while I was a bacon lover, I didn't really use bacon, as I assume most people today uh, don't, to actually cook that much. Mm. I mean, I know that this is a big Southern tradition. They certainly use the fat, 
and they, they use the meat itself. And, of course, we have a long history of, you know, taking bacon along with us on those rides across the country because it held up so well as a, a dried and smoked meat. But really cooking with bacon, that was something that I had to discover on my own. And, and that was kind of the fun and the work of the book, that, you know, how far could we take this? Hmm. I think one thing that Peter and I did from the very beginning uh, was to decide, too, that there are a lot of recipes out there either on the Internet or even in magazines and cookbooks that, that combine bacon with lots of cheese. And we thought that was an, a really easy route and too obvious and not particularly, you know, healthy, wholesome. We wanted to do something much more subtle and something that was quite different. And so we started out by talking to a lot of chefs to see how they use bacon. Mm. And what we got were some really terrific answers. One of them that I'll never remember, uh, forget was that bacon in and of itself has not just one or two flavors. It has like four or five flavors. It has, of course, meatiness from the pork. It has smokiness because smoke from hard wood is, is added. It has a sweetness because it is cured with sugar. It has a salt, saltiness because it is cured also with salt. But it also has something called umami, which is that, you know, kind of subtle, savory flavor that is hard to define, but you find it in a lot of foods like mushrooms and Parmesan cheese. And some people define it as a savoriness that lingers on the tongue forever and, and for a long time, that lasts on the tongue after you've taken a bite of that food. And when right. you think about bacon, you actually do get that kind of lingering of flavor and taste. Mm, and I would, true. I would add one more element that is certainly pleasurable to the eating, dining, creating food experience, and that is the smell of bacon. Yes. When you cook it, it's oh. like overpowering. It's <laughs> what brings people to the kitchen. It's, it's kind of intoxic and exhilarating. It is. is. I agree. And then depending upon how you or one, the cook or chef, prefers to cook bacon, there are multiple processes. And whether it's pan frying or roasting in the oven, uh, or you call it the baking method, or even cutting it up into pieces and then skillet frying the bacon, I happen to love the crispness of bacon that comes from baking or roasting from on a rack at a low and slow temperature. I think that the fat itself uh, sort of renders away beautifully, right? And you get the best texture, in my opinion. It's wonderful because of all the reasons that you mentioned, Jamie, but also, you know, you don't have that splattering that occurs on the top of your stove. And it's kind of an easy, free way. You do not have to monitor the bacon. You just put it on the rack, uh, on a rack over uh, a large roasting pan, set the temperature to 400 degrees. This is all in Bacon Nation. Lay the strips on the roasting pan. You can line the pan with some aluminum foil so that you don't dirty the pan. And then, and then put it in a 400-degree oven for about, you know, depending upon the thickness of the bacon, it takes about 12 to 14 minutes to crisp up and firm up and cook up that bacon to sort of like the ideal crispness. And, Mm. you know, just keep it in longer if you want it to go more. But it's a great way to cook bacon for a crowd and also not mess up your stovetop and have it really be done. And it lies kind of flat. It doesn't crinkle up. That's the other thing that I really like about it. It looks great, you know, when you're presenting it. And one other tip here that that comes to mind is I really prefer a thicker cut bacon because I think that, 
it just cooks up better. And it, particularly if you're taking that bacon and cooking it again, like in a soup or a stew, with a thicker cut, you're going to have a little more of that flavor, a little more of that fat that's going to be kind of like go into the super stew as you cook it further and really release its flavor into mm. that dish. So yes. thicker cut is my preference and, to the thinner. And mine as well. Cut. Yes, and uh-huh. I'll, I'll agree with you there. Um, okay. You say that there's nothing good without the grease, and I agree. I love that at the beginning of Bacon Nation, there is a, a list of inspiration for what to do with the leftover bacon grease. And I pour mine from the baking sheet, as I'm sure you do if you're roasting in the oven, yes. or drain it from the pan. Right. But you say pop popcorn in bacon fat. Yes. Oh, wonderful. Use it really to make great. a roux. Uh, use it yeah. to cook sunny side up eggs. Oh, there's mm-hmm. so many wonderful ideas. But maybe none better than the bacon swizzle stick. Oh, Would you yeah, teach yeah. us how? I think okay. you've made this famous. Well, it's, it's because, you know, you. you you, you probably know, Jamie, you're in the kitchen, you're working for like a year and a half on all these recipes, there's 125 in the book in Bacon Nation, and, and like some, in the middle of the night you go, whoa, wait a minute, maybe I could take bacon and I could wrap it and twist it. Why don't I, I do that? Wonderful, right. you know? exactly. And then, you know, you get up in the middle of the night, you go try it, and that, that's kind of what happened with that. Um, you know, you're, you're testing so much, and I tried it a couple of different ways, and then I actually twisted it and wrapped it up in a paper towel. And, and because bacon does work in, to cook it in the microwave, I microwaved it, so it, it went pretty quickly. And in about a minute or so, when you unwrap it in the paper towel around it, you, you get this edible, very firm bacon swizzle stick which is great for, like, using in, you know, Bloody Marys or serving, dipping into chocolate. And so serving, like, smart. As, a, as an a, a accompaniment to a big, big bowl of ice cream. I've mm. done that for guests, and everybody is just wowed. Or even, like, like making a few of them and stacking them and putting them on, on an appetizer plate, maybe with some prosciutto or some, you know, sliced cheese and some olives. I mean, it can kind of, like, make a real conversation and get a conversation mm. going at your next party. I love the idea of bacon and scallops as a compliment. You have a beautiful bacon and edamame salad with sea scallops. Yeah. We tried to do things that were healthy, you nice. know, that kind of like mixed it in. We, we, Peter and I, you know, we're, we're really very conscious of our weight, our health. And actually, I, you know, there are a lot of recipes. I think that they're just they're judicious in the mm. use of bacon and bacon fat. They're not going to go overboard with it. They're not going to, like, you know, put pounds on, you know. They're going to they're gonna be judicious in the sense that they're delicious, but they're also kind of health conscious. And one of the things, too, that came out after this book that I was happy to see is that more and more nutritionists and people who are investigating different fats in our diet are saying, actually, that it's not, that animal fats are really not the culprit, you know, that in, and I don't want to go out, I'm not a nutritionist, don't, don't want to go out too much on a limb, but you know, a lot of current studies are showing that we need some fat in our diet, and animal fat is really okay, and it's really the sugars and the processed foods that are going to get us into trouble, and some of the carbohydrates. That, right. So, you know, that's kind of like, it was good news for me after Bacon Nation came out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, and, and I uh-huh. think it's good advice, eat more bacon. I can't yeah. wait to make your cheddar cheese and bacon biscuits and the peanut butter bacon cookies. What a yeah. fabulous yeah. combination. The recipes are, are exquisite, and I certainly very much appreciate you sharing your passion. Um, and for all those bacon lovers out there, those are all of my listeners, I know, um, <laughs> you will no doubt delight in the cookbook release entitled Bacon Nation, written by Marie Rama and Peter Kaminsky. It is 
everything you love about the magical ingredient that is bacon. We've excerpted a recipe at chefjamie.com so that you can bring the cookbook into your collection as well, a link to the Amazon page for Bacon Nation. And Marie, once again, always a pleasure. Thank you, thank you. Thank you, Jamie. (laughs) Whether it's sweet or salty or anywhere near divine, you'll hear about it here. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. We'll be right back. to get your quick fix of culinary entertainment. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio as the delicious conversation continues. The countries around the Mediterranean have long produced an abundance of fresh herbs and fruits and vegetables that have been the basis for healthy eating for centuries. This is particularly true of Lebanon, where the food is steeped in tradition. And Chef Jumana Akkad specializes in bringing these beautiful tastes to American tables. Through her popular food blog called tasteofbeirut.com, she has shown thousands of home cooks how the delicious cuisine of her native Lebanon can be prepared at home and indulged in. And I am delighted to share the debut of her cookbook entitled Taste of Beirut, as Jumana brings to life the rich and complex and delicious flavors of the Middle East, sharing her heritage through recipes and anecdotes, teaching everyone who will listen how to create these beautifully inspired and delicious tasting dishes. Jumana joins us live, and I'm so glad to have you. Welcome. Thank you, and (laughs) hello, Jamie. I'm so glad to be here and back. Well, I'm glad to have you back in the States as well. We know um, from reading the book, you spent three years uh, cooking and testing recipes in Lebanon. And the book is beautiful. I will say it made me so hungry, (laughs) Jumana, because there were so many of my favorites, some of which I didn't realize had Lebanese roots. And you talk about in the book how remarkable it is that such a small country can have such great attention worldwide placed on its cuisine. Yes. I, I think that's, uh, that maybe, you know, uh, they say that um, a necessity is the mother of invention. Mm-hmm. When you are in a country that doesn't have industry, uh, doesn't have oil, doesn't have, it's just, it's a beautiful country with beautiful nature. Well, people become resourceful. And I've spent half my time while I was in Lebanon in the mountain, and I've learned about the the wild herbs and plants that what people do with them. I mean, it's, it's uh, it, uh, it was unbelievable. And the, the sumac that people now it's becoming a trendy spice. Well, it's all over the mountains there, and the reason they use it is because they can't grow lemons at the high altitude, so they use sumac. Isn't that interesting? Okay, talk to us about sumac. I have a love for sumac. I learned about sumac from a shaker on the table in a Middle Eastern restaurant a long time ago. And, of course, it has that beautiful purplish hue, and I was the first to ask, what is this? What do you put it on? How do you eat it? What does it taste like? And I've I've since begun using it on everything. It has this bright sort of beautiful you talk about citric acid as its sort of flavor profile. It has right. a, a tartness to it that it starts, it's yes. exceptional, though. It, it heightens the flavor of everything. Yes, it does. And um, so as I was saying, in, in the mountains where, uh, you know, as you're walking around, you see those 
bushes, and now is the time where people pick the sumac and dry it. It it looks like a like a tiny grape. It's the little berries. They dry those berries when they're really dry. They 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 grind them. Now the key is you want to grind. Uh, there's a portion that's not really edible. Uh, it's it's only the outer covering that's the best to eat. But anyway, we're getting technical here. Mm-hmm. What's what's for sale is definitely edible. But um, uh, it, it was it was out of necessity. People wanted to have a lemony flavor. They couldn't get lemons. Lemons are grown on the coast. Mm-hmm. See, Lebanon has a coastline which is on the Mediterranean and two mountain ranges with some pretty tall mountains where uh, the snow can stay pretty much year-round sometimes, and, and then the, the valley, which is the Bega Valley. And each one of these regions produces a certain, certain types of food. That's why for such a small, tiny place, it has such a variety of foods uh, because it depends on your, um, uh, your uh, topography. Another one of the traditions of Lebanese cuisine, you make a rice and vermicelli pilaf. And it's, yes. it's one of the dishes I know to be inherent of Lebanese style because it combines the two starches. So you get a textural dynamic that's very mm-hmm. unique. Yes. Uh, le- the rice is not um, native to Lebanon. It was imported from Asia, from the f- Far East. I mean, we're still in Asia in Lebanon, but we're yes. in the Near East. Anyway, um, it became so popular that now it's, it would be unheard of to serve a stew or anything without having the, the rice and vermicelli pilaf as a side dish. Mm. Uh, bulgur is, is more of a native Lebanese um, uh, food. Yes. But uh, rice has been adopted. In fact, there's even sayings in, uh, that say, yes, as soon as rice showed up, uh, Bulgur hung himself because <laughs> it was like relegated. The people in the cities would always prefer rice to Bulgur. That's people in the villages would still eat the Bulgur. Of course. I think it's so beautiful that you toast the broken up vermicelli pasta in oil or butter so you get that sort of toasty wonderful flavor and color and then you add in the rice and cook it simply and then flavor it as you like there are other lebanese traditions one of which i would like to adopt you eat a semolina cheesecake for breakfast yes (laughs) i know it's does that look uh, delicious uh, it's it's so popular that nobody in Lebanon actually very few people make it because you've got corner bakeries that make it they specialize in it. It's called knefe, and they uh, you you stop by you pick up your your knefe. It's uh, they give it to you in a single serving. They put it in a piece of bread, and boom, you eat that. Mm. That's your breakfast. <laughs> it looks so creamy and delicious, and the dough yeah. looks super simple to make. It is simple. And so does the uh, the pumpkin fries recipe look to me. Oh. Uh, that's one of my first go-tos from your book. One of the many <laughs> side dishes, as you talk about in Lebanese cuisine, are these large slices of pan-fried pumpkin. And then yeah. you dip it in a little bit of sumac to brighten the flavor. And as we come into the winter season from fall, uh, this would be the perfect side dish or even starter to use fresh pumpkin or squash as a substitute, right? Sure. Yeah, sure. I, I love that. And idea. Um, I, I've also got a, uh, a recipe in there for a stuffed pumpkin. Now, this came from, um, it was given to me by a friend uh, from the Armenian community. They take a small pumpkin and they stuff it with pumpkin pulp, rice, apples. It's sort of a sweet and sour. Mm. And then you bake it and then you cut it like you would cut a cake. Like a, po- like, like a slice of pumpkin 
pie, essentially. Right. Oh, right. Except wow. the, the, the pie is the, bunk, the pumpkin itself. Is the itself. pumpkin itself. Oh, I can't yeah. wait to make that as well. And the eggplant cake, which you say oh, is right. a true showstopper. But leave us with this, although I would love to dish with you on Lebanese cuisine <laughs> for longer. Um, I hope you'll come back and share with us oh, closer to the holidays some of the um, Lebanese favorites for the holiday season. But um, you have begun famous uh, not only for your flavors of Beirut and your blog, um, your site garnering almost a half a million visits per month now, I know. But you were very popular and still are on YouTube when you posted a video for baklava in 10 minutes. <laughs> and I, I would love if you would take the last minute of our conversation and take us through your quick and easy baklava because I am a baklava lover. Well, um, actually, I got a, an even uh, easier one that you could make in less than 10 minutes. But the one, uh, the, the one on, the, on the YouTube video is simply taking the phyllo and crimping it. That's the technique. And you layer uh, it with the chopped pistachios, right, and uh, clarified right. butter? When, yes. When you crimp, uh, when you crimple the, the phyllo, you create volume. And oh, so you don't have so to take smart. every single sheet. Oh, so that's, you crumple it up all together, like bunch right. it together. Exactly. You bunch it up. Now, the, the recipe in the book is even easier. It's you simply douse your baklava with a lot of butter, and when it bakes, you drain it from the excess butter. So it stays crispy, but you don't have to do all that, all that layering one after the other. You just simply stack them up like half the package and then the other half. So smart on top. This is actually how uh, it's done in commercial kitchens. It's like a shortcut to baklava. I, I love that. Uh, we certainly appreciate your sharing your passion for Lebanese cuisine, sharing your heritage. It's with my over, pleasure. Thank you. With over 150 <laughs> recipes inspired by her grandmother in her family's kitchen, Jumana Akkad has captured the flavors of the Middle East and made them accessible to you. The book has just released, and it is called Taste of Beirut, Delicious Lebanese Recipes from the Classic to the Contemporary. I've excerpted a recipe at chefjamie.com to inspire you. And Jumana, the, the invite stands. I hope that you'll come back and, and celebrate the culture and your cuisine closer to the holidays so that we can continue to cook Lebanese dishes in our kitchens. Jamie, it's been a pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you so much. It was my pleasure. As the delicious okay. conversation continues, you heard it here. We're cooking around the world, and there's more scrumptious conversation right after this. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen, in your radio. This is food conversation that fits your life. You know Tori Johnson as the steals and deals guru on Good Morning America, whom we all love watching. She's also built two multi-million dollar businesses, is a New York Times bestselling author and a popular speaker. And her New York Times bestselling book entitled The Shift, How I Finally Lost Weight and Discovered a Happier Life, has just released in paperback. In 12 months, she lost more than 60 pounds. And since she published The Shift, another 15 pounds have come off. She shares what she learned, how she eats, and how she's changed over that time. And I'm delighted to welcome you back. It's a pleasure to talk with you again, Tori. Thanks for having me. Yes, of course. Okay, so the paperback releases. Congratulations to you. And Thank you. And in the interim between hardcover and paperback, you, I know and understand, received 
a slew of wonderful conversations from mainly women who have, I think, been so impacted by your transformation. They see that losing the weight for you changed you physically and mentally and emotionally. And I wonder how all of that extraordinary bandwagon of support has contributed to to your thoughts and feelings of the weight loss. Well, I'm I'm excited for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, since the when the original book came out, I got so many emails. I, I get them every single day from people who say we're sisters from another mother. <laughs> we must be twins. You got inside my head. I can't believe this. I can't Amazing. believe someone else has the same feelings and thoughts and experiences that I have. And most of all, I sort of think that I could do this if you could do it after not being able to do it, and your our patterns are so similar. I think I could do it too. And, you know, when people tell me that, I say, great, like commit to this. Send me a picture. Oh, no, I don't want to send pictures. I hate how I look. I'm like, great, that's good. Send me a picture of what you hate, how you don't like how you look. Nobody's going to see it, I promise. It's going to sit in my my inbox. But I want to be able to help you track your progress. So in three months and six months and 12 months, when you send me another picture, we're going to get to do this amazing comparison. And, And so I've done that with so many women. And in the paperback, we share some of those success stories, but um, but there are too many to have to have included, which is uh, a great problem to have. And oh, so, I'm thrilled for their success, and their success continues to fuel my success. I think the transformation is amazing because it's so visual for all of us to see, you know, how we look in the mirror, how our pants fit differently. And that to me is a celebration. And I know from reading the book, you love to celebrate. And I was raised that way. We celebrate everything in our house. <laughs> but do you yeah, still celebrate? Of course. of course. Do you still celebrate weight Good loss? Good bad, yeah. right? Like, it's a great thing to celebrate food. Something bad happened? No, no worry. Let's eat. And do you celebrate, though, in a different way today? Do you celebrate weight loss still? Do you celebrate daily weight maintenance Definitely. I yes. try to celebrate everything. Like, mm. if the sun is shining, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate. Like, right. You know, let's celebrate. And and so the big difference is the way I celebrate. So I no longer celebrate in a way that I know that hurts me, which is, you know, let's celebrate with, like, four cupcakes. Let's celebrate with donuts and Oreos and potato chips and tiramisu. Like, we don't have to celebrate that way. We don't have to, you know, celebrate with sort of foods we love that don't love us back. And that's a big change for me. So, you know, it doesn't mean that you can't celebrate with food, but the food should be um, healthy and delicious. But I've also learned to celebrate in just non-edible ways. You know, there's there's nothing that's as sweet as, you know, a, a dress that fits and looks fabulous. Yes. There's nothing, you know, as sweet as being able to just go into the gap and knowing that, like, anything fits. Like, I don't have to leave a dressing room frustrated because nothing fits. Um, you know, I celebrate by going for a jog in Central Park with my kids. Like, whatever it is, like, there's other ways to be able to sort of enjoy and do good things than indulging in, you know, chocolate cake. I mean, in reading your book, I watched you on television. I saw the transformation. I read your prose. But I think the shift from what I took from it is the mindful shift of what your boundaries are, what your parameters are, how you made it happen. Cheat days are off limits to you. I know that. And setbacks, you say, are an opportunity to reset, right? So today can be day one. Absolutely. And what's important for me about sort of the reset thing is, 
you know, I'd be the person who'd think, like, okay, I'm really serious about this. Like, I'm totally on the straight and narrow. And it would be Tuesday at lunch, and I'd mess up. And I'd say, oh, I just ruined it. You know, Tuesday already. I'm off the plan. And you know what? Forget the week. The week is blown. The week is over. Mm-hmm. Now, and then it's like the month is over. And then it's like oh, the holidays are coming and whatever excuses we come up with. And so what I did was say, okay, you know what? I blew it Tuesday at lunch, but guess what? It's Tuesday afternoon now. It's day one starts over. Reset button. Here we go. And I wouldn't allow one mistake to kind of derail me like I had always done in the past. Like, it's inevitable that we will that we will mess up. It's inevitable that, that you know, we'll sort of do something we shouldn't do. And so you want to obviously avoid that as much as you can. You, you, you know, you don't want that to become the habit. But when it happens, it's like, okay, we, we, we got to pick up and move on. Hmm. Okay, so if you would, seeing that the new paperback release, and by the way, if you've just tuned in, you're late because Tori Johnson, New York Times bestselling author and Good Morning American contributor is here. Her book, The Shift, has just released in paperback. What is the most impactful or memorable story, Tori, that you've added to the paperback edition from the viewers and the fans and the friends that you've made along the way that you've impacted? Um, I think the one universal piece that everybody who has successfully shifted has sort of gotten, and they all say, like, I finally got it through my thick head. I finally, like, accepted this. Like, duh. The one universal thing among everybody is that weight loss takes time, that we all want the quick fix, the overnight results, the pill potion plan. We all want that. And what we need is patience and perseverance. And when we stick to something for the long haul, we can make unbelievable things happen. Every one of these people say that they did it and they were successful because they gave themselves the luxury of time. That, you know, if you would have said to me on day one, you're going about to give up everything you love and uh, you're barely going to lose, you know, more than a pound a week, I would have said, forget it. I'd rather have the potato chips. Like, it's not worth it to me. And so because a year is an eternity. But when I look back in retrospect, in that first year, I lost 62 pounds, which I have not gained back and have since lost more. And the year went by and I'm, it wasn't that hard and I'm still standing and, and I'm lived, better for right, it. You live to tell. Yes, yes, yes. And that is what every one of the women who I feature in the book, that's what the one universal sort of connection between all of us, that they said it was the first time that they were in it for the long haul, mm. that they abandoned sort of the diet temporary mentality, that they, they went for it the long haul, and that they in time have developed, you know, better and better and better skills and strengths to, uh, to, to, to keep them going, that this is, there's no end date. It's like, this is for good. Yeah, this is forever. And your charisma is catching. And for those who need to make a change, make the shift. I can't tell you, Tori, what joy I feel when I watch you on Good Morning America. You look so happy. And you look so young, by the way. <laughs> you look beautifully <laughs> young. And the transformation is wonderful to see. And I thank you for sharing what was a very painfully honest story and a very inspiring one in the book. You can make the shift, says Tori Johnson. The book has released in its paperback version how she finally lost weight and discovered a happier life. You can check it out at shiftwithtori.com. And I like to go to torijohnson.com as well. Lots of recipes in the back of the book as well for food lovers because it is doable. Make the shift. Tori, always a pleasure. Thanks for coming back on. You're I hope to talk nice to you soon. very nice to have me. Thank you yes. for being so gracious. Of course. So that brings us to the end of another hour of delicious conversation. I hope you'll tune in next Sunday 
to get your quick fix of culinary entertainment once again. It's certainly an easy way to explore all the beauty of the food world, and it's always my goal to make you hungry. I'm always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. So become a friend. And I'll leave you with this. I like to call it my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of gastronomic inspiration. Well, I never met anybody that didn't love a buffalo wing. And so I thought, What could be better for game day? You see, we're a football family. So whether it's the football game or a movie night snack idea, I have to tell you, this might be one of the best yet. It has everything you love about a crispy, spicy buffalo wing, except for it's in the form of popcorn. Yes, you heard me right. It's buffalo popcorn. And I know you're running to your pantry right now to see if you have these four simple ingredients. So here goes. All you do in a small saucepan is melt unsalted butter with hot sauce and a little bit of honey. And you can adjust the measurement of those ingredients as you like. I like four tablespoons of butter to two teaspoons of hot sauce and one tablespoon of honey. And then I add in a generous pinch of salt. And then I use popped popcorn from a bag, or you can pop it yourself. You place the popcorn in a large bowl. You drizzle it with that buffalo mixture, sweet, spicy, salty, oh, so good. And I guarantee you it will be gone by halftime. Depending upon your hot sauce, of course, depends upon the amount of kick. But I will say this buffalo popcorn might just make you a culinary hero in your own living room. Check out Facebook at Chef Jamie Gwen. I'll post the recipe for the buffalo popcorn once again, and I'll meet you here next Sunday when the scrumptious conversation continues. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. I hope you continue to eat well.